Hello and welcome to the Emergence Discipleship Podcast. As a church, it's our hope that the proclamation of God's Word on Sundays would turn into the application of God's Word in our daily lives, leading to the transformation of people in our local communities. To that end, we pray that this podcast would serve to further equip you with more insight, background, and context into the themes and topics we study each week, first as we gather together to worship Jesus, and then as we go to make disciples. Thank you for joining us here today, and let's get started as we dive into this week's discussion. All right. Hey, leaders, and welcome back to the podcast. We are looking at week five, studying through the prophecies of the king. Doug, what's up, dude? Howdy. Good to see you again, brother. Good to be seen. Uh, Excellent job this weekend, sir, leading us through uh, this fun passage that we have here today. I'm just looking over the discussion guide now. Fun week this week. So this is like the beginning of, I guess, just the final judgment that's to come, right? And so give us a little little background here into this text, Doug, since since you've done such a great job studying through this week. Yeah, um, well, as I, as I mentioned, uh, this is an exciting passage because this is the end of Jesus' last big block of teaching in the book of Matthew. So, of course, you know, you're going to have the upper, upper room, the, the Last Supper and everything. But really, his big public teaching, this is, this is what he wraps it up with. So, this is kind of like the last thing he wants to take away. And another thing, uh, you know, everybody uh, by now has heard the message, I'm sure. Uh, so, obviously, a big emphasis in it. Is on the uh, the uh, caring for one another as as believers in Christ, and um, if you look at John's version, I've got of, some questions about that. By the way, uh, there you go. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. But if you look at John's version uh, of 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 uh, events, you know when he gives the extended upper room discourse, you know, kind of tells us like like the the main brunt, like the the long story version of what Jesus taught there. Mm-hmm. A big part of that is also a new command. I give you love one another, you know, that, that love and, and the, the, the oneness that he prays to the father that, that we would have when he, when he goes, stops and he just prays for us and everything. Yeah. A lot of that, the, the themes that are taught here are repeated there in John. So okay. apparently on this last day when he was, uh, or well, this is, takes place a couple days beforehand, but uh, during these last few days that he was with his disciples, this apparently became like a very big I, uh, idea in his teaching. And, you know, you also Unity. have the foot, yeah, and, yeah. And, and serving one another. You okay. also get the foot washing and everything. So, mm. so I've got a couple questions. I'll probably save them. I'll save them as we work through the discussion guide this week. All but right. Or, the, don't, or don't mention them at all. And I won't have to. <laughs> um, I'll definitely bring them up. All right. So let's take a look at the discussion guide. We've got a getting started section there. And then the first section we're going to jump into is this idea of Jesus as judge, right? And so, Doug, you actually mentioned, um, we. so leaders listening in, we go through a couple iterations of discussion guides uh, each week. And this one, you know, since Doug was preaching, he did a lot of the heavy lifting and, and whatnot. And I've kind of uh, tweaked it here and there, but Doug, you originally put in uh, talking about Jesus as judge, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and that a lot of people understand that the Bible teaches of a coming judgment where God will judge the world, but less realize that it's actually Jesus that's sitting in the judgment seat, yeah. uh, which is interesting to me. I never really like actually stopped to think that, you know, like to me, you know, that's always one and the same. Of course, Jesus yeah. is there, but uh, that's interesting. So we're going to dive into that subject first. And so uh, we've got a little text here. While many people realize the Bible teaches this judgment will come, perhaps less realize that it's actually Jesus himself who will sit as judge. So question number one, consider this text begins with the son of man, Jesus, in his glory. When most people think about Jesus, do you think that they typically see him in glory or otherwise? And why is that, do you think? So this is just kind of a, a, a question to kind of get the ball rolling a little bit. You know, when most people, like the first impression that they hear, whether Christian or otherwise, um, do they see him as humble, 
like hanging from the cross? Do they see him in pain? Do they see him as, you know, poor uh, or with the oppressed? Or do they see him in glory? Do they see him as judge as, you know, with his full authority available to him? So just kind of a question to get us started there. And, and there's also, there's there's almost an element where um, it's not a strict either or thing as well. Like I think, per, I'm thinking particularly of the way Jesus is depicted in several of the visions in Revelation, mm. where even in his glorified state, right, he's he's opening up the seals that mm. reveal God's purposes, purpose for, for salvation and judgment in the world. Right? With the like, marks of crucifixion still, on his hand, Yes, right? and he's he's the he's the lamb who was slain still. Mm. So he still retains that even in his glory. Mm. But, you know, Great as point. I yeah. said, it's this not, is... It's not one or the other. It is the reality of the full picture of Jesus. And, and in fact, and again, going back to John again, right, he refers to the hour of his crucifixion as his glorification, huh. right? This is the hour of my glory. Um, and the early Christians would often even speak of Jesus reigning from the cross, mm. you know? And there's this 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 kind of beautiful um, paradoxical picture there of our king with a mocking crown of thorns on is the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven and, and beginning to take his throne. Mm. Uh, it's a beautiful picture and, uh, you know, I think a key component of really understanding the heart of, of Christianity that mm. that that um, th- we are centered around a suffering Messiah, mm. a suffering king. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So another question here, how comfortable do you think people are uh, with the side of Jesus that comes in glory as judge overall? So really the question here is like, are people really comfortable seeing Jesus as judge? Do they even really see him as judge mm. or do they see him as Jesus is my homeboy or Jesus is the one that died for my sins, but he isn't judge overall. You know what I mean? So whether Christian or not, yeah. you know, are people even comfortable with even thinking about that and, and why or why not? And a very comforting idea, I think, is uh, expressed by Paul in Romans 8, where uh, in verses 31, he starts saying, he's like, what can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all... How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So there you have the idea where the kingdom's prepared from the foundation of the world, right? Give us all things. But then he says this. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God, it is, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died and more than that who was raised and who is at the right hand of God. So it's almost like like – this intensely comforting idea that the one who ju- will be our judge is the one who died for us. And so by clinging to him, we're clinging to the judge himself, um, who is himself the source of mercy. So again, there's these seemingly, um, these ideas that are seemingly at odds with one another, Jesus as our intercessor, but also Jesus as our judge. And I think that just provides a, a ton of comfort and incentive for just clinging to Christ and clinging to the mercy that's in him. Awesome. So a few more questions here along the same lines. Number three, in what way should knowing this side of Jesus really affect our relationship with him? What implications should this have for us to see him uh, as, as, who, as who he really is? Number four, what do you think our attitude should be toward the notion that Jesus will one day judge us? You know, how should we respond to that if we're Christians? How should we respond to that if we're not Christians? Number five, does the standard of judgment in verse 40 seem gracious when you first read it? What about verse 45? Do you think they are the same standards or different? And what are the implications? 
implications of that. So this is interesting. And now that I'm reading this over, I'm not sure I like the way that I phrase this question. But uh, <laughs> with the understanding that, you know, Jesus is giving us a an example here, right? And where he's basically looking and he's laying down kind of a precedent that those on his right and those on his left, you know, the, the precedent between them is that one of them, uh, the one side is loving people, caring for others well, and the other is not. And so if you want, you can speak into that a little bit. You know, what are the different standards? What are some of those implications? And, and, I, and I think that the key, uh, that, that a real key to this passage and, and seeing how it jives with what the rest of Scripture says about the nature of our salvation, about it being a free gift, is that I think both Jesus and Paul and, you know, the other New Testament writers refuse to separate salvation from faithful Christian living. It isn't that faithful Christian living gets us saved, but there's almost, there's no such thing as a, as a person who truly knows the Lord and is truly saved by grace who is not displaying these fruits in their sure. lives. That's Thank you for reiterating that too. So leaders, as you're looking through this, you know, I've done something kind of intentionally here. I'm trying to dig things up, right? So when we ask questions like this, I always try to assume that there's people in the group that are Christian and there's people in the group that are not Christian. And so as often as I possibly can, I try to phrase some of these questions to kind of get people talking about this. I want to get people talking about the idea that Jesus is the judge overall. He will come. He will judge us. And here are two statements he gives us in regard to that judgment. So how do you feel about that? How do you look at Jesus like that? How does, you know, what are some of the implications? What does that mean for you if you're a Christian? How does that really make you feel if you're not a Christian? Does that make you uncomfortable to think through that? If you do have a group sitting there full of all Christians, then how does our culture today really swallow that reality? You know what I mean? So we can kind of explore all avenues of this, but the reality, Doug, like, like you just said, is that Salvation is a free gift, right? It is not linked to action. And with that in mind, as well, it's not, how do I phrase that? Not that it's dependent upon our actions, right? But our actions are a byproduct of a faith that we have uh, in Christ that, uh, right? Yes, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like no matter what way. <laughs> it's such a sure thing that, like, we want to separate them conceptually in our minds, but the Bible doesn't really separate them. Sure. It separates them when the question is like, how are we conceiving of why are we being saved? But when you're thinking about what does a Christian look like, sure. the Bible is never like, well, technically you could have someone who just has faith in Christ but has not borne fruit, right? right? Because right. we never really know. No, the Bible's always like, no, if you know the Lord, you will be like this. Right. That's why I like and James. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes it says that not for the purpose of comforting us, but for the purpose of challenging us. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, where are we at? Number six, what do you think it means to be watchful in relation to the coming of the Son of Man and his glory? And number seven, how watchful do we feel that we really are? Uh, what would we need to do to actually be more watchful? So yeah. keeping watch on this reality and, and knowing that Jesus is coming. We've talked about this a little bit in the past. You know, in over the past couple of weeks, we talked about the reality that Jesus could come in any moment and the reality that Jesus could come in a very, very long time, generations even. So we talked about preparation for those things, but how do we also be watchful over and, those and things? And you don't and and be sure to uh, to ground it in this week's passage, right? It's not right. merely watchful in this abstract idea he could come at any time, but being watchful is actually, you know, what does the Lord want me to be doing? And here it's clear he wants me to be caring. He wants me to be caring for all people, but in particular 
he wants us to be caring for one another and loving one another. So me being watchful is not me trying to read the times and saying, is Jesus coming back right around the corner or something? But it's it's rather me saying, all right, I'm, I'm here and I'm supposed to be taking care of mm. my brothers and sisters. So who's in need? So it's being watchful for need, being yeah. watchful for, for how can how can I – uh, be an agent of God's kingdom, be a citizen of God's kingdom. Sure. One of the prayers I always love to pray is, is asking the Lord to, you know, give us eyes to see and ears to hear those that are hurting. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, like, when we talk about being watchful, one one prayer I always have is, like, God would give me the eyes to see those that I can love well. You know what I mean? That I would I would be able to see uh, exactly those that are hurting that God's calling me to love. Yeah. Uh, maybe pray that tonight as well, too. Um, all right, so let's talk about this other section here. It's pretty short, talking a little bit about sheep and goats because I know people are going to have questions. So number eight, why do you think Jesus uses this imagery here Imagery here of sheep and goats? What impressions or details come to mind when we picture a shepherd with sheep and goats? Uh, Doug, I had the pleasure of uh, talking to you on our way home from lunch today, just asking, like, why sheep and goats? You know what I mean? Why mm. the imagery there? You know, because in my Western American mind in the you know 21st century, here I am sitting here thinking, like, pretty different you know what i yeah, mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they're not exactly the same but you were kind of correcting me a bit and saying that back then you know or even still today some sheep and goats are very difficult to actually tell apart sometimes yeah yeah so and 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 i yeah so this is uh this we uh and we can we talked about this for like the whole <laughs> ride back so i mean there's a lot that can be said about this um uh the first – well, first off, like just calling someone a goat is not really like – would not really have been the insult back then that it would have been now. Like think mm. Song of Solomon, right? Yeah. Like because um, you got to think – and you got to think that like all like the Satan imagery and stuff where mm-hmm. it's like this, the sigil of baphomet and everything is where it's like yeah. the pentagram with the goat in his head. It, like that's all like way after this. This is not sure. like – so – um, in fact, that I'd be willing to gander that that's probably riffing on this or something. Mm. Um, really, the I think the idea here is that they're probably not as easy to tell apart when they're all in one flock mm. as as we typically get. Like we typically, you know, ever since you're a kid and you're trying to make crafts of sheep, you're using little cotton wool and everything. But sheep are by no means all these white, fluffy little animals. A lot of the times their hair would be their, – their wool would be scraggly and stuff and mm. so they might not be that diff, that easy to tell apart. Um, it seems but, irrelevant to this though, honestly, it's, yeah, right? It's, it's almost irrelevant. He's just saying – he just needs two types of animals for the parable that he can sh- separate one sure. from another. And I think that's really the idea here. And this the, is a common – this other, is a common illustration. And I, the I mean, other thing that comes – yeah, and the other thing that comes very – becomes very apparent when you're reading – commentaries and and things like this is that is that we who who basically make our living doing bookish things sure. know very little about what shepherding was like in the first century ad sure you know so like me sitting i can read a bunch of things about that that shepherds have said or that you know people have said about shepherds but the fact of the matter is is it's hard to know exactly what would have come to mind when he said these two animals both were, were were valuable. Both you can make a case that sheep provided wool also, so they were maybe were a little bit more valuable than goats. But really, I think he just wants 
two different kinds of animals yeah. to set to to distinguish two different kinds of people, yeah. and maybe maybe it's not worth reading too much into it because he doesn't seem to make a big point about their, the difference in the animals themselves in the parable. Sure. So he's probably using a, a local illustration. <laughs> yeah, know? something okay. that resonates with them. So a couple other questions if you want to ask them. Uh, number nine, how should our impressions of sheep and goats impact our understanding of this text? Really, what comes to mind when we're picturing these things, and what are the core principles that – that you think we are really meant to take away from this. What is the big idea, right? And so I'm kind of asking this question because in the past, Doug, you, we were kind of talking a little bit about how we read parables. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That we should be careful. Like, let's say the parable of the 10 versions. We should be we should be careful that we don't look too far into uh, the parable teaching us something about being generous with oil or not. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not That's not the main point of that parable. And so we should probably be careful, be careful with this as well. Don't look too far into sheep and goats, but this is the illustration he's giving us. What are we meant to take away from this, right? Do you want to answer that, Doug? Yeah. Um, uh, the, the one thing that is interesting, and it's important to realize, so the the place where Jesus really, he's compared to a shepherd here for sure, uh, in Matthew, like especially like he he's going to start, um, you know, quoting Zechariah, where it's like she- strike the, the 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 shepherd and the sheep will scatter, mm. um, and he he, he will um, employ the the imagery of the faithful shepherd who who breaks the, his staff union in favor. But we'll, we'll we'll learn about that in a few weeks. But you know, when we think of Jesus as a shepherd, we often think of John chapter uh, ten. Right where he's like, I'm the good shepherd and everything like that, and he's yep. leading out sheep. But here the image is that um, that there are both sheep and goats in the flock. Mm. And I almost wonder if the idea here is kind of like the parable of the weeds, where there are going, where it's not going to be the easiest thing to di- to distinguish true from false. Mm. But if you know what to look for, you can. Okay. You know what I mean, like. Mm. Um, and and so there's you think of any given Sunday morning and you have people who who enter into churches or people who don't you know and and they're all part of the flock, but there are some who are actu- who are his sheep and there's some who are who are goats and which is interesting because like yeah. if if that's the case right and so if we're looking at the entirety of the flock like how will we tell which one's which and mm-hmm. well he kind of gives us categories for that as we mentioned already you know what I mean it's like. You can kind of look at the behavior that's coming from them. Who knows? I don't know. But maybe mm-hmm. goats act a certain way and sheep act a certain way. You know what I yeah. mean? And here he goes. And so let's jump into this next section. Leaders, if you're if you're listening along with this discussion guide, I'm probably going to use those first two sections myself to kind of get conversation rolling along and explore the text and just get some kind of thoughts and things out there. I'm probably going to spend the most amount of time in this third section here that's titled, I Was Hungry, right? And so Jesus now is, is giving us these two different kind of dynamics of how he will look and judge these two different these two different folks. So uh, question 11, it says that the Bible's clear. We're called to love anyone in need, even our enemies. But in our passage this week, Jesus narrows these acts of love to specifically concern disciples in his portrayal of the final judgment. Why do you think that this might be? Now, Doug, this is kind of the big question I wanted to ask you this week, because the one thing that really spilled out of your sermon is that this text might be specifically geared more toward disciples yeah. Right of Jesus. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? more? I mean, if we're ma- I, I I laid out the major components of that case in the in the message, but essentially the idea is that when Jesus calls people his brothers, the people he calls his brothers, those are disciples. So there's really no way to argue from the text 
that he's talking about love for all people in in general. Um, and but just to reiterate, yeah, when when you say that, it, it, it just from the text, it's not that he's calling us for love of all people, right. but rather talking and about I, disciples. I know but, some people have already struggled with this. Right. That yeah. that is not to yeah, say yeah. that we shouldn't love all yes, people. It's right. At, that, it, I am a hundred percent saying that we need to love all people. If we see someone in need, we should do our best to meet it. Sure. And we should go out of our way. We should found ministries to do that. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but when the the question is what makes us distinct, right? It's it's loving Jesus's people because they are Jesus's people, hmm. okay? And that's that's a lot different. And you can see how believers and unbelievers would have a much bigger um, difference in opinion on that, right? Like, um, like so if I, <clears throat> for example, like if I. Um, if I go to one of my friends from high school and tell them about, you know, I have this friend right now who plants churches in Pakistan and he baptizes Muslim converts every single time he goes. Wow. He's planting churches there. And these guys can't, they can't afford to even put roofs on the buildings that they meet in. And so he's often raising money for roofs. Hmm. I tell that to one of my unbelieving friends from high school and his attitude will be, well, why, why do they even need a roof like they, they're they're just people like this and not even that important that they're meeting for church or anything like that hmm. whereas you say that to Christians and they're like holy crap what roof. can I do to help <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's not just churchy needs either right like I don't I, uh, I don't I don't feel but but like like say like persecution and troubles that because remember like this is not just for people where it's easy to be Christians a lot of the world it's extremely physically difficult to be a follower of Jesus and has been since Jesus spoke these words. And and a care for people and a, and a brotherly love for people in those situations and, a, and, and, and acting on it is something that is unique to believers. There's not going to be a lot of unbelievers there who feel compelled to help people in a special way who have had to give everything for the cause of following Christ. So let me play let me play devil's advocate here for a second, then, Doug. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice turn of phrase. I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to make the case and just uh, that that the the desire to help Christians as such because they are Christians because they are bro- because we have brotherly love from them that is something that is unique to those who are transformed by the Spirit. So here's the hard question: Should I then favor? Christians over non-Christians? I mean, I think it depends. It's a very general question, so it kind of depends on the general need. Um, you see, like, you see, the reason why I ask this, yes. right, is because obviously, especially if we've got non-Christians in our group, they're going to be like, okay, so you're telling me that just because somebody else is a Christian, you should love them more than someone else? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And isn't that what Peter did when when Paul rebuked him? You know yeah. what I mean? And so it's like, it's the same kind of think, thing where... I think the idea is that we, we need to love everybody, but we need to especially love those who are, who are um, of the household of faith. Mm. So, but... Because so it sounds to me then. Let me let me see if I can if I can't clarify this. So it sounds to me that at least because you were saying the word that you said earlier that I kind of that I was listening to is that you said it should be distinct, right? Mm-hmm. So like if I look at let's say I look at a group of whoever a group of skateboarders around the corner, they love mm-hmm. getting together, they all hang out, they're best friends, blah blah blah, and whatever it is that they are marked by, they might have some of the best friendships in the world. Mm-hmm. I look at that and then I turn and I look at the church. 
the church especially should be marked by a care and a love for one another. Yeah, and and yes, ex- exactly. And and the the a lot of the the difficulty that that we might have with this some stems from thinking that the, from this false dichotomy like nobody's saying don't love don't love anyone mm. or don't love unbelievers. Mm. Um, the idea is, we, is is that we we love all people, but we have a special love for the church, for Christ's church. It, 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 it has a special place in our heart, and it's marked by actions. So, like, I never have the choice. I've never personally, in my 20-year walk with the Lord, been ever faced with the choice, do I feed unbelievers or do I feed believers? <laughs> like, I can't do one because I do the other. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So it's not saying don't love other people. Mm-hmm. It's just saying that there needs to be a special mm-hmm. love in our heart for the church. But if you only have so much soup to put into the bowl, do you choose the Christian over the non-Christian? That's a hard question. You know, um, I, I've never I've never had that 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 problem myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh it's, you under, so like it's interesting because I this mean, for me, Doug, is was an yeah. interesting point because like for me, I would I'd put it all in a non Christian's bowl. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, because they because they in in fact, and there might be something to it because if I was the Christian with a, with an empty bowl on the other side, I might say give it to him, hmm. right? Like because the Christian would agree, I can yeah. go without and let this other person go. So right, yeah, you know, a lot like I would caution people against using hypothetical situations to shoot down what Jesus seems to be saying here. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like, it, can we even name a scenario where this has been a problem? Mm. Where it's been a problem like, I, I, I can't serve other people because I'm serving God's people. Mm. I'm not even aware. I can't even think of any examples. Mm. And so, like, you know, like, like we want... Uh, fact is jesus is talking about serving in the real world and the the real world at least as far as i've encountered it and i'm pretty sure as as you know including in the poor areas places and the third world countries in which i've i've served and and spent time i've never seen it be the case where you have to choose between one or the other where one where where one group where a group of unbelievers goes without because christians are going with i just don't i just don't see that so like why would we why would we you know throw down an objection based on a hypothetical situation that probably that that very very rarely ever obtains to say I don't know if I really buy what Jesus is saying. Sure. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you then, you're saying that there at least what this passage is suggesting is that there should be a special type of care and love for the body of believers yes. within the church. Yeah. Okay. And 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 again, we see we see that being played out in the New Testament. We we see the believers in Acts selling everything they have. Acts right? two, yeah, and, and giving to and, those as they had and, need. Yeah, and that and, and but it's not a charity towards the world. It's a charity towards fellow believers. It's sharing know. everything among believers. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you also mentioned too, I think this was in, I don't know, was this in the leadership guide? The idea of one another, right? Mm-hmm. So like when we're called to love one another, serve one another, care for one another, all of these one another statements, are those meant for the house, like the household of God? Yes. Really? So yes. every time that, you know, we're kind of referring to one another in the New Testament and there's, over- I mean, I'm not going to do a, 
Bible work search here and look for every time it says sure, one yeah. another. Fair but enough. yeah, I mean, in uh, general, in, then. In, in, my impression is is that it's always yeah. Huh. That's that's I I gotta think on all this, man. You're challenging <laughs> I, I me mean, here. When yeah. Jesus when Jesus is with this, the sitting with his the twelve, and he says, "New command I give you that you love one another." This is how all men will know you are my disciples. Sure. Right. You have this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. It's clearly that is how you know whether or not somebody's well. That's how you know somebody's a Christian or not. Right. In the way that they love one another. So I I, I hear what you're saying, and, I, and that makes sense to me actually. And like that, that I think think on it that way yes where it's just like okay how do you know if somebody's even a christian or not well look at the way they love one another and when you put that in the scope of this passage here in the final judgment and jesus is looking at the flock and saying goats and sheep well look at the ones that are loving one another those are clearly my people you know and when and if you do want to ask questions about loving the unbelieving world Mm. i think i would want to start by saying that the way the church does that is by being a healthy church Right, It's a healthy church that will love the unbelieving world around it. And the way to get a healthy church is for Christians to love one another. Hmm. Awesome. All right, so let's jump into some other of these questions here. Uh, number 12, have you ever personally thought of your actions or non-actions toward Jesus' disciples as actions toward Jesus himself? And how might that simple reality kind of change the way in which we minister to people? So simple question, you know, have you ever really thought about this before? And, and if you have, you know, how has this kind of changed the way in which you think about serving and ministering to folks? Uh, number 13, what are some of the biggest examples of Christian of Christian love for one another that you've seen? So have you ever, yeah, you're laughing at my, uh, <laughs> my typo there. Because um, I never make typos, so it's just weird <laughs> when I see one. You, you know, know what's like, funny? I'm going to start, so I always correct yours in the, in like some of the leaders commentary and different things. <laughs> I'm going to start highlighting them in red. That's right. I'm oh, start doing man. Um, sorry. Uh, I'm number 13. Se- secretly re-upload a- another version of... <laughs> What are some of the biggest examples of Christian love for one another that you've seen in your life personally? Uh, So if you want to share some cool examples of that. Number 14, where do you feel that Christians can tend to fall short of the kind of love for one another that Jesus speaks of in this passage? I really love that question. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's that's a generalized question, you know, in saying where do you feel that Christians can tend to fall short? But I would also say, you know, if you want to lean into that, where do you personally find yourself falling short of that? Where can we as a church tend to fall short on that? Um, number 15, have you ever personally struggled with a lack of assurance that your faith in Christ is genuine? What kinds of things should help us to point to whether we are truly a child of God? I love this question. And so this is really what's important. And this is why I would end the commentary with this one. This is why I chose to put this one here is that if you're going to ask this question, you know, have you ever struggled with assurance? I have, I know I have, uh, and especially when I was an early Christian, um, and periodically throughout my life where I, I see the reality of some of my sins, sometimes I'm like, man, like being a child of God, how can I still think these things or say these things or do these things? And so it's a good question to really visit. And it points right back to the text. And again, Doug, I think it's worth talking, you know, what is salvation? It is a free gift of God, right? It's not by our works. But for those that are that are Christians, for those that are um, that look to Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, and Jesus is the Lord of their life, then there will be behavior that comes about their life that is common. You know what I mean to the to God's household. Yeah, well, I've, there's a one of my favorite titles of a book. I think it was a J.D. Greer book, one of those little ones. Okay, so it's called "Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart." <laughs> which is just about and and it's the same. Like when I was a kid, I remember like every single. This is even before I walked away as a teenager, right? Like every night I feel like I prayed a sinner's prayer because I just wanted to make sure. Mm. And um, 
there's something healthy about that, right? There's something healthy about being like this faith, this attitude of repentance and trust in Christ needs to be fresh and new and, and it should always be in the forefront of our heart. But on the other hand, just thinking that like it's about me really meaning it or really praying the prayer the right way or something like that can sometimes almost border on magical, you hmm. know, this idea that this is a – and whereas like the, what the, the way the New Testament portrays it is that the, the real way to know that we are true is if we are persevering in that hope, if we are holding fast to that hope, and if it is evident that we are through fruit in our lives. Hmm. Uh, when we were sitting out at, at lunch a second ago, we were talking with Ryan. He mentioned a book, too, uh, with – it was a commentary on the Passover, right? So next week's uh, verses, we're talking I – mean, the preparation of Passover feast and everything else. Mm. And uh, and Ryan mentioned a book where he basically commented that those that went to sleep on the Passover, right, back in um, – back when, you know, in when God was doing all the plagues and everything else – uh, the what was it? The, oh, the oh, last okay. plague, the tenth. Yeah. One? So this is actually this is actually. So I'm not sure if he's ever put it in a book, but this is mm. the way that uh, D. A. Carson. Oh, D. A. Carson, you know, one of our okay. favorite guys here. Sure. He uh, one of the ways he kind of um, phrases the idea of uh, one of the idea key ideas between behind Passover and how sure. faith is displayed in it. And so what he said is that there are two types of people that went two types of. Christians, so to speak, that went to sleep that night. Those that went outside on the doorpost to put the the blood on the doorpost, you know, for the Passover, yes. and double checked it maybe two or three times to make sure it was still there. It didn't dry up and go in the wood or anything, and and basically didn't sleep that night. And then there were others that went and you know put the blood on the doorstep or, or on the what's it the called lintel. the lintel. Thank yeah. you. And then went to sleep and slept soundly. You know what I mean? And and. You know, Ryan commenting on D.A. Carson, it's like both of them, you know what I mean? God, you know, God was gracious to both. Yeah. But the feeling of our faith, like one is assured in that and the other has. And one's faith may even have been stronger. Sure. But yeah, I think yeah. the way he phrases it is it's not the presence of faith that matters. It's the presence of faith that matters, not the strength of it. Mm. You know, some people are going to be more trusting, mm. but it is the presence of trust itself. Mm. So I wonder, you know, just with this last question, you know, like that's, it just reminded me of that, you know, how much do I, you know, do I trust God at his word? You know, is, is God's word sound? Are his promises sound? Well, as a Christian, of course they are in my yeah. life. And does that help me to, to look and, and know and, and sleep And when soundly? you're sure of that, you can take your, you can stop navel gazing and take your eyes off of yourself and get busy blessing your brothers and sisters. Yeah. And that could probably and be... And the world. Yeah. Let's say it for everyone. Thank you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a good marker too, though. You know what I mean? I remember I used to equate this to like a boat, right? When you see, you know where a boat has been because there's waves, you know, mm. the, the, behind the boat. The, it leaves that kind of trail behind yeah. it. And just as a Christian life, you should turn around and look and see, like, is the fruit that's falling out of my life, is it producing life or is it producing death? Yeah, you know same what I mean? with what Jesus says in John 3. Yeah. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, mm. right? That I don't see wind. Mm. I, don't, I can't say, look, there's wind, but I can see leaves blowing and I can see trees swaying. Mm. And I know the wind is there because of its effects. So it is with the spirit. Cool. 
Awesome. Thank you, Doug. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in again and listening through this week's discussion guide. Um, to be honest, Doug, I'm not sure if I like the product that I've put out this week, but <laughs> okay. feel free to edit some of these oh. questions. I know there'll be a couple challenges and questions. As always, you can write Doug or I. We're happy to And to look for, in. we're going to be doing a deep dive on this uh, yes. passage. Yep. So uh, some of the questions about judgment, hell and stuff. And yeah. um, also, you know, yeah. some other things people have asked me about might be in there too. <laughs> Sweet, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, so we'll do that probably, I don't know, Doug, tomorrow, maybe maybe Wednesday. Lord willing. Get on that as soon as we can. All right, guys, have a great discussion this week. Looking forward to hearing how it goes. Take care.